All right. Thank you, everybody, for joining us on this scorcher of a Sunday, July 25th, 2010, just after 4 p.m. in the AFT-EST. And I hope you're having an absolutely wonderful, wonderful week. Um, we have uh, at least someone on the phone right now, so let's go straight to the brains of the outfit, a.k.a. the flesh beast Borg brain known as the listenership. So you have, uh, um, uh, you're on the phone right now. If you'd like to ask a question or make a comment, please go ahead. Okay, now this is me, right? This is you. Wait, was that a philosophical question? No, I'm just kidding. Come on. <laughs> okay, so assuming that the state does not murder you first, if you live to be a geriatric, would you rather have sound mental capacity or sound physical capacity? Meaning, would you rather be mentally healthy or physically healthy if you had to choose between the two when you become when you become like 80 years old in that range? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, for me, mental health uh, would, would be the most important. Um, I, uh, I mean, I, th I think those are good questions because in some ways you have to aim at one or the other. Um, and so because uh, uh, you, you, you don't get it all when you're 80. I mean, you, there's going to be some limitation. I don't even get it all. Now. I'm, I'm 43. I'm already starting to experience some uh, changes <laughs> in my body. And uh, so, yeah, I, I get that. It's a good question. And I would always go for mental acuity, mental health. I mean, I think that it must be a terrifying thing to go through something like dementia, which would probably be more of a physical uh, ailment. Uh, but the reality is for me, uh, hopefully by the time I'm 80, uh, you will be able to uh, take just about any pill for pain management uh, because pain management is quite a, a powerful branch of medicine. Uh, but I don't think that you can take any pill to help you with um, misery in your soul. Uh, at least that's what I've seen. So uh, I'm less terrified of uh, the physical decay than I would be of the decay within uh, my soul or the attack uh, that may come from my conscience. Uh, so uh, I, I would opt for uh, mental health and happiness because I would assume that the other stuff could probably be managed to some degree. Well, um, if, for example, if you have poor physical health, you may uh, be bound to a bed. You may get bed sores from that. You may may not want to live any longer because of the pain that you would experience. So that's an, argue, that's an argument for the pro-physical health side, um, whereas the pro-mental uh, health side, usually people do not agree who side with you that ignorance is bliss. And, and when you talk about dementia and those type of mental diseases, the people commonly say, oh, I'd rather, I'd rather just be dumb and have people take care of me and be physically able and not know about what's really going on. So people who, to, who would rather have physical health than mental health tend to say, I'd rather have, or, or uh, I'd, I think that ignorance is bliss. Um, do you have any comments? <laughs> well, you, yes, but you, you're assuming that they're describing the future, right? <laughs> they, they may not be describing the future at all. I think that uh, for, for a great many people in this life, in the present, uh, ignorance is bliss, or it, it seems to be, or it appears to be, bliss. Uh, you can see this, of course, in the distractions of, of mainstream media and, and many movies. And I mean, the amount of people, sorry, the amount of time and energy that people put into as inconsequential a set of things as buying a pair of shoes uh, or or choosing which movie to go and see or, or any of those things, 
the amount of energy, time, and resources that people invest into completely inconsequential things in the larger sphere of their life's happiness compared to a s- simply taking care of their own souls. Even people who put a lot of work and effort into taking care of their physical bodies, right? So you think of um, uh, the situation from Joyce Shore, right? I mean, he, uh, he obviously, these guys with their banging bodies, they go to the gym. Um, I mean, I know that to get that kind of body, you probably have to go to the gym at least two hours a day. Uh, that's a that's a big that's a big deal, right? Um, that's a, that's a lot of time. That's like two extra work days a week of going to the gym. And I guess for certain people that will make you physically attractive. But the question for me is always, but what about your soul? What about your conscience? What about your happiness? What about your virtue? And it's an annoying and nerdy and and age old question that is asked by philosophers and to some degree priests, though I think incorrectly, uh, all the time. So when somebody says, well, I just, you know, I'd rather just be dumb, not know anything and have somebody else take care of me. They're not describing their possible future state when they're 80. They're describing their present state relative to the government uh, or some external agency in the present. That would be my guess, though. Of course, I'm not going to say that that's true for every case. All right. Well, I thank you for your comments today. I always look forward to your insight. I appreciate that. Thank you. It's it's an interesting question. I think those kinds of questions are very interesting because... They tend to reveal, I think, what people are actually thinking about in the present, and uh, I hope that uh, I hope that that uh, helps people to understand that uh, people aren't describing the future; they're they're describing the present. I think so. All right, next. But who is attractive at eighty? Well, depends what you mean by attractive, right? I think that you can be radiantly beautiful. Uh, at 80. Well, but uh, attractiveness is, is, is also to, is relative to age, right? So uh, I'm just, it's a minor contrarian position, but I think that you can be physically beautiful when you're 80, uh, if you've aged well and gracefully. So let me, let me give you an example, right? So um, Megan Fox is uh, a beautiful woman, uh, given her current, you know, proportions and on all of that. And so she's a beautiful woman. Now, when my daughter was born, or pretty much at any time, she is a uh, she was a beautiful baby. She's a beautiful girl. If you took my daughter and blew her proportions up exactly so that she was the size of Megan Fox, she'd be completely terrifying and grotesque, right? I mean, she would just be a giant, freaky, bulbous-headed baby. So, uh, what is beautiful at I guess nineteen months is not what is beautiful at I don't know twenty-two or whatever. Uh, however old Megan Fox is. And so um, uh, I think that uh, you can have a beauty that is appropriate to the age that does not detract. It's just different standards, right? What's beautiful for a baby is not the same as what's beautiful for a young woman. is not the same as what's beautiful for an old man or woman. So I think that uh, uh, that would be my suggestion. Hello? All right, if we don't have anyone, <laughs> it's either talking, my friends, or it's UPB. Hi, Steph. Hello. Oh, Hi. Hello. Hi. Hi. It's, it's Alex, Alexis. Oh, hi. How are you doing? I'm hey. great. How are you? Hope I'm, hope I'm next. I hope I'm not uh, jumping in ha- ahead. No, no. Go for it. Okay. I just wanted to talk to you um, about rights. Um, first of all, just wanted to say, you know, fantastic show. Love the show. I love the work that you're actually doing. I think it's really inspiring. 
and you know helped a lot of people including myself so i just wanted to start with that well thank you very much i appreciate that cheers um Right, so anytime I talk to people about rights, um, this sort of inherent belief, I suppose, that there is such thing as an actual right in that there's a natural right or a moral right and then there's a legal right. Um, I'd just like to talk or ask you actually for your opinion on, on rights and how you see them because I don't, I don't actually believe that there are things such as rights um, and People talk about having a claim or a claim right, you know, a right which entails that uh, somebody else, um, such as the right holder, uh, is entitled to something. Uh, I just wondered, what's your position on that? It's It's a great question, and I think that there is a huge amount of confusion around rights uh, and um, uh, I, the first thing that I would say is that rights clearly do not exist. Uh, they do not exist in the way that a nose exists. So I have a nose, uh, and that's objective. And I have a nose whether I'm standing on a desert island, I have a nose at night, I have a nose. Uh, if someone comes up and disagrees with me that I have a nose, assuming they don't hack it off with something sinister, uh, I still have a nose. So my nose exists uh, independent of my consciousness. If I have some delusion that I don't have a nose, then I still have a nose and all this, right? So my nose is exists and it is a property or a part of my body. Uh, my consciousness has uh, some form of, of measurable existence, right? As sort of the contents of it can be explicated through language or whatever, right? So, so there are those things, I, and I have mass, and I, I have a gravitational uh, well. And uh, so uh, these are all properties of my body, but there's nothing in me which is called a right. Like I have a spleen, and right next to the spleen, I don't have a little organ called human rights. And so clearly rights don't exist in the way that things in the world and the effects of things in the world exist, I think that has to be understood. So then the question is, uh, you have to ask people, so you say, well, I have rights. It's like, well, what does, what does that mean? What do you have? And there's lots of different answers, which is one of the reasons why I consider rights to be a libertarian form of religion. And it's a way, to me, rights is a very primitive way of trying to establish UPB. Uh, so people will say, well, well, I have uh, property rights. And it's like, well, you really don't. Nobody can take away my mass, but people can take away my property all the time. And so you don't actually have rights. Now, what people, what, what rights generally translate to in most people's uh, is that I have a claim to protection from other people. That's sort of what people, uh, what people say. And so you, so rights is a form of, of begging, right? Rights is saying, please don't hit me. Uh, rights is saying, please don't take my lunch money. And so it is a request for other people not to harm you. And it's, uh, that's, that's the basic reality. And of course, the challenge for all statists is that rights for anybody who believes in a government or the moral validity of a government, rights cannot be protected without being violated. That's the basic fundamental contradiction when it comes to the government and rights. And so if I say, well, I have the right to the protection from my property, so I want a government because I have the right to protection. Well, first of all, if you have the right to protection from your property, you shouldn't need some external agency to enforce it. If you actually have that right, then you should not need another agency to enforce it. So I have a property called mass, 
So I don't need a government agency called StephBot has mass to enforce that because it is simply a physical property of who, of who I am. And so anybody who believes in a government says, I, I have the right to protection from aggression. So I want a government. And the first thing a government does, of course, is aggress against you to take your money in order to protect you, your property rights, and your right to, to live without aggression. And so this is a self-detonating statement, right? In order to protect my rights, I must violate my rights. My rights are so precious and in such need of protection that they must first be violated in order to exist. Well, that's just a mess, logically and I would say even emotionally, right? And so I would say that it's um, it's nonsense. And I think that it comes – the reason people say that is that when you're a child – you do have, I think, just claim to protection and food and hopefully love uh, from your parents. And I think that people sort of take that expectation into the adult world. But uh, rights don't exist, and any attempt to uh, enforce them using a government uh, is, is a, a fundamental contradiction, a performative contradiction, because you're saying these rights are inviolate, they are universal, they are precious, and therefore they need to be violated by a small group of individuals uh, perpetually in perpetuity, and that doesn't make any sense. Okay. Uh, I, I agree with you completely. Um, I, I think that's pretty much in line with how I feel about that particular issue. Because um, when, I'm, when I'm debating with people, it's normally um, a legal right that they're talking about. Um, but that's within a, a, a sort of a system whereby, um, obviously, a stated system. So how do you kind of get around that when you're talking about legal issues? Um, and, I, and the only reason I mention this is because... Um, a friend of mine at the moment, he's going for a legal battle to get access to see his children. Um, obviously, that involves a, a, all the red tape, all the kind of going seeing solicitors and lawyers and people like that. But I mean, how would that, how could that be resolved? And, and the reason is, is because I'm thinking more in a stateless society. How would those sorts of things be resolved if it, if it was sort of, sort of the natural economy of, of interactions in a, in a free market? How is there any sort of way in which you think that those sort of issues could be resolved? So uh, I, with, without getting into identifiable details, can you just give me a little bit more information about your um, uh, your friend and his, his custody battle? No yeah. names. I'm just, I, just curious so oh, I can get a sense of what details. Can you just give me a little bit more yeah, information certainly. about your, um, your friend he's, and his... He's quite young. I mean, he's 20. He's got two children. Um he was seeing his, with his girlfriend for a little while. He's not married or engaged to her. He was with her for under three years. Um, they separated. Um, she's very, very irrational. Um, and her justification for him not seeing his children is because they were together. She cheated on him. She's now pregnant with the other guy's kid. He's lots of out of Jerry Springer. And she claims because he doesn't want anything to do with her, uh, i.e. relationship, that she's got the... She's got the sort of right, I suppose I have to use that word, she's got the right to take away his children and to stop him having access to his children. Um, completely irrational response. And I was just wondering how would that, how would that kind of thing be resolved? Um, I think if there wasn't such a thing as a court or a law, um, how would those sort of things be resolved? Um, I was trying to really think of ways that that could be achieved. Just wondering Yeah, no, that's, yeah. A, that's a big question. It's a big question. I, I'm sorry, maybe I missed it. What was her justification for him not seeing her children? Um, because she wanted him back, even though she's pregnant with someone else's kid. She wanted him back and was very angry at him because he wouldn't go back to her. So she just stopped him from having access to his children. 
which is just retarded. Oh yeah, my that's wretched. That's wretched. Um, punishing their own children, um, stopping you know them having a, 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 a an opportunity to spend time with their father. Oh yeah, no, this uh, this is completely wretched. Uh, I'm so sorry. How uh, how terrible. Um, now, uh, how's how's this working out for him in uh, uh, in the current system? Right. So, how's it working for him in the current system? Is he getting uh, justice? Is he getting things sorted out? Well, at the moment, we've just um, got a solicitor, and we've pretty much just started the process of getting access to his children. Um, so I know it's I know from what I've read on the internet and, and I've spoken to quite a few people it's going to be a it's quite a slippery slope in that you know normally the mother's kind of getting almost like a bit of an advantage in that department um, but he's you know he's a nice guy he's he's honest and he's very um, open to finding a solution that works but I think at the moment he's we we just started it. I know it's going to be an uphill battle, but I think she hasn't really got a leg to stand on from a legal point of view because he's not done anything. If he was shooting up heroin or drinking every night and violent, then I could kind of understand her wanting her children to be safe. But there's a, it's just such an irrational way of uh, dealing with the problem that she created, basically. Why? Um, why did he have children with this? woman and i think it was the first one was kind of just unprotected sex i think he's quite he was quite young and didn't really think about what he was doing uh, he had a second child with her god knows why um he should have learned really but i don't know <laughs> i really don't know i've sat down and talked to him about it and tried to understand from his point of view but it's difficult it's you know he, he's in the situation that where it's all those things have sort of happened and you just got to try and try and sort it out the best way you can. Right. Okay. Um, let me um, let me just ask one or two other questions. So, uh, what is she living on? I mean, how is I assume with with two young children, uh, she's not yeah. exactly uh, jetting off to be a stewardess. So, what is she living on? Uh, I think she's living on the state. Um, she's on the doll. She's on the doll, right? Yeah, she is. She's she's. Really unproductive, probably the most unproductive person you could ever meet. Right, right. Well, of course, that may not be uh, the um, uh, that may not be the, that that wouldn't be the case in a free society. Like in a free society, there would not be automatic doll, right? Yeah, totally. Now, uh, in a free society, uh, she would have to. Um, uh, she would rely on on charity, or, or her parents might have brought her pregnancy insurance, or something like that. And in order, so so, the odds of having unprotected sex, when the consequences would be really dire, would be less. That doesn't mean that people wouldn't do stupid things or make mistakes, or a condom wouldn't break, or something like that. But the consequences would be um, would be very different in a free society. There wouldn't be. Uh, you know, free health care, free dental care uh, from the since you're from the UK. There wouldn't be subsidized housing and food stamps and welfare and all of these kinds of things. So the consequences of people's actions would be much more uh, glaring, right? Because the whole point of philosophy is around it's around prevention. It's not cure, right? So philosophy is like nutrition, right? So so you, if if you're in uh, right, if if you suddenly have a if you're having a heart attack, right, you don't call a nutritionist. And say, how do I need to change my diet for better heart health? You say, 
shit, I better get to the emergency room because I'm having a heart attack. Uh, hopefully, uh, so so uh, philosophy is like being uh, is like nutrition. It's like being a nutritionist. It, it really can prevent uh, things, right? So uh, if you wake up one morning and you've been smoking for forty years and you cough up back black bits of bloody lung, uh, it, it's it's not that much use to call a smoking cessation program, right? Because to quit smoking is all about prevention, uh, not uh, not cure. So that's the first thing. So now that your friend is in this horrible, difficult, dire terrible situation which is going to possibly consume him for the next 20 years of his life, the first thing is to recognize is that uh, philosophy uh, can't do a huge amount to to help him at the moment, which again, I'm not saying that, that philosophy can't give him some comfort, but uh, philosophy and a, a free society would all be about preventing these kinds of problems, not uh, uh, not finding ways to solve them after the fact. Does, and I, I just say that before I'll try and tackle the issue as I think, think it might. But does, does that make any sense? No, that, that totally does. Um, I'm, I've actually sat down with him and had lengthy conversations because I don't think his, his parents are supporting him very well. Um, and, and the fact is he's 20. You know, when I, I'm 28 at the moment. And I know for a fact that when I was 20... Um, have you ever gone through um, these experiences? I did. It would be very difficult to, to sort of find ways to, to make that a better situation for yourself and mentally as well. It's, it's, a, you know, it's a lot to have, a lot to take on board. So I've tried to sort of introduce free my radio to him as well, just so he, can, he has a bit more tools, he can have a bit more perspective on it. And I think that's really important as well. If he can at least look at the situation and say, yeah, it's a bad situation, but... How how can I how, how can I improve the way I feel and how can I find a solution that's that's not you know doing something crazy or getting yourself locked up it's you know, something that's quite positive and I think um, obviously you offer that in terms of the ideas forward and um, for the young man it's fantastic it's brilliant. I'm so sorry that that, that sort of got got chewed up. Uh, a little bit, but um, uh, let me let me just give a, a bit of a speech, and this is completely off the top of my head, so this isn't set in stone, and I haven't spent a huge amount of time thinking about this. In fact, I've spent almost none. So uh, forgive me if I, you know, end up having to retract all of this, but I will at least give you my initial thoughts uh, on the situation. Okay. A property, a property rights are uh, limited by the just use of property, right? So. Uh, I can't exercise my property rights to the point where they harm other people, either now or or in the future, right? So um, I can't uh, uh, I can't set up a barbecue in your basement and fill your house with smoke uh, at night. I can break into your house, right? Because that would harm you as the smoke seeped out, and right. So so property rights do not include the right to harm others either now or in the future. Now. Children, as I've argued in a recent podcast, are a form of property, and they are the property of the parents. So in this case, your friend has shared property rights in the same way that if he and his girlfriend had started a business together and had worked 50-50 to, uh, to, to make the business successful, if they broke up, they would each get 50% of the business that they had created. So in the same way, he has a 50% property right to uh to his to his children and now how does he uh again assuming right so if if uh, if they start a store together and um 
they have 50% ownership. That doesn't mean that his, his girlfriend has a 50% right to set fire to her half of the store, right? Because clearly if she sets fire to her half of the store, his half of the store is going to go up in flames as well. So she can't say, hey, well, I only set fire to my 50%, and so your 50%, uh, that's just an accident, and I had nothing to do with it. So uh, And so uh, parental judgments and interactions and, and so on, they all have direct effects upon the development of children, right? So let's say that they get 50-50 custody, and she says, well, when I get them, I'm not going to feed them. Well, that wouldn't be just, right? <laughs> that wouldn't be fair because she would be harming the property that they both share, which is, which is the children. And so that to me would sort of be the moral reality. She also doesn't have the right to harm them in the future. And if you want to or if you haven't seen it, there's this Bomb in the Brain series that I have done on YouTube and I think it's in the podcast feed as well wherein I talk about the ways in which parental abuses directly and negatively affect the mental and sometimes physical development of children, right? So so your friend's girlfriend does not have uh, the – I'm just going to use the word right here for convenience, but I can't think of too many new terms all at once. Your friend's girlfriend does not have the right to harm the development of her children, both uh, either physically or emotionally or mentally. And so in a free society, this would be all recognized and this would all be laid out. Now, you simply can't raise children in society without having access to participation in that society. You can't do it. Uh, you, need, you need diapers, you need milk, you need toys, you need six million things to, to raise children. And society needs to be involved in the raising of children. You simply can't do it alone. You can't even give birth to children, uh, at least very easily, on your own. So... And so what would society want in return for this sort of participation? Well, it would want good behavior on the part of the parents uh, in order to participate. Now, the difference, of course, is that you can economically ostracize or refuse to do business with an adult, uh, but you can't economically uh, – you can't justly do that in relation to, to children because children can't survive without uh, society. And so there would, it would simply be a removal of of the children it would be a removal of children from the uh, the destructive parent in the same way that uh, if i come at you with a knife you have the right to take my knife away because i'm going to use it to harm you and uh, so because this is all universal uh, ethics uh, it would simply be that you you have to treat your children well and uh, i strongly strongly believe in the future I believe that this is the case even in the present, but I strongly believe in the future that uh, brain scans will very quickly show children who've experienced emotional abuse or sexual abuse or other kinds of abuse that don't leave physical scars. It will leave a, a very bloody footprint in the brain. And so parents would be uh, charged, so to speak, with harm to children if the brains of the children showed excessive levels of cortisol or diminished, diminished frontal lobe capacity or expanded... Uh, um, sort of core brain uh, problems or impulse control problems. These were all sharp in the brain, and these would all be directly traceable to uh, abusive or destructive parenting habits. And you would simply uh, you would charge based on that, in the same way that you would charge if you find uh, finger finger marks around the neck of a child. You would charge if you do a brain scan, and I would assume these brain scans they're pretty cheap. They would just be part of the child's regular checkup, right? So um, you would you would bring your kid in to the doctor, and the doctor would. Uh, uh, you know, 
do whatever and tap the knees and, and weigh the child and perhaps give an inoculation or two. And then they would run their, uh, the kid through a, a brain wand <laughs> to see how the brain was developing. And if the brain showed signs of, of trauma, the parents would, uh, would have to, uh, well, their, their behavior would be under significant review because society does not want uh, people being harmed and growing into potential um, criminals or worse, people who want to reinstitute a government. And so, um, so society would uh, attempt to reform, would attempt to retrain, would attempt to intervene uh, in, in harm towards children. And if those children continued to be harmed, uh, the doctor simply would not let the parent leave with the children. Uh, there would be guards. The guards may be armed. People would be called. This would be a confrontation. It could get ugly. But you don't have the right to harm children. You don't have the right to abuse children. And therefore, society would simply not allow that to happen. So uh, that would be my suggestion. As to how these things would be worked out, well, you would aim for 50-50. It's a huge amount of resources that would need to be poured into this uh, to to sort these kinds of stuff out. When people start using children against each other, uh, it is an enormously ugly situation. Uh, So society would work as much as possible to prevent this kind of thing. And uh, if it could not be prevented, then society would work, I think, as hard as it could to find amical uh, ways of resolving it, such as third parties picking up and dropping off the children and so on. But if one or both parents proved intractable and destructive, uh, since it's very clear that that would be harmful to the children, uh, the parents would simply be, uh, <laughs> there would be an involuntary defu of the children uh, by according to social standards, and they would go to people who would care for them better. That would be uh, my approach to it anyway. Excellent, fantastic. Well, thanks ever so much for your insight. I really appreciate it. Um, I'll ask him to listen to this after. You're, you're going to post this on uh, YouTube, I assume. Uh, yes. Uh, uh, sorry, if, if your friend's going to ask it, do you, do you mind if I just spend a minute or two throwing a few words his way? Yeah, that's, that's no problem at all. That'd be great. All right, all right. And I will say this. This, this, this I'm talking to your friend directly. So, listen, first of all, that was really dumb. That's obvious. I don't have to tell you that, but I just thought I'd mention it. Uh, don't have any more children <laughs> for the foreseeable future. Uh, keep it in your pants. That's really what, what I'm trying to tell you, at least for the moment. Because if you have uh, a, 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 a crazy chick fetish, and I think when we're all young, <laughs> we do, because judgment is not always the best in your teens, right? So if you've got a, a crazy chick fetish, then uh, keep it in your pants or you know, spank the monkey, flog the bishop, whatever you need to do in order to uh, keep your seed from swimming up the crazy river. So that's uh, that's the first thing that I wanted to say. The second thing that I wanted to say, and I say this as a man who grew up without a father, that whatever you can do, whatever you can do to stay in your kid's life, uh, and I know that you're trying to, and I really, really uh, respect and honor that hugely more than I could ever say, not that, you know, you don't care about my respect and all that because I'm just some guy on the internet, but uh, I will say that I really hugely respect and I know it's going to be really tough. And uh, if uh, if your girlfriend is the kind of woman that she sounds like, it, it may be tough for a long, uh, a lot of years and it may feel like you want to give up. It may feel like you want to move, move away. But whatever you can do to stay as a positive influence in your children's lives uh, will pay off for them and for you in ways that can't, can't, uh, you, you just can't imagine uh, at the moment. And and if you were tempted to bolt and if you did bolt and leave them behind, then, I mean, this is what my father did. And uh, he had uh, a crazy uh, wife, let's say, and uh, he bolted. And uh, his life um, was, uh, well, nobody, nobody gets away with anything in life, right? We don't need God 
and we don't need the devil and we don't need hell because the conscience punishes wrongdoers enormously. And uh, I, I simply say this not because I think you should be punished or, or bad or anything like that, but I'm just saying that the short-term relief of getting out of the situation uh, will, in my opinion, I can't prove it to you, but in my opinion, uh, will cost you a lifetime of happiness. And the struggle that you're going to have to do to maintain being a positive influence in your children's lives will pay off, will pay off, will pay off in, in ways that you can't even imagine because you will get such self-respect, you will get such caution around sexuality, and you will get such pride that you will attract entirely different women and I think people as a whole uh, into your life. So I'm sorry that you have to face these kinds of responsibilities so young, but uh, that is the dangers of waving around the magic pee-pee and all of its fantastic juices. So I just wanted to say that, uh, you know, hang in there if you can, if you can, if you can, hang in there. Uh, it will pay off for your kids. It will pay off for you. And the alternative will be a disaster for everyone. So uh, that's my two cents worth. It's just my opinion, right? But that's just what I wanted to say. All right, Steph. Fantastic. Thank you ever so much. Um, like I say, I really respect what you're doing. And, you know, keep up the good work. You're a really good human being, man. And it's a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And I hope that it works out with your friend as best it could. Fantastic. Cheers. Bye-bye. All right. Take care. All right. Next. Hello, Steph. Hello. Yes, uh, do you hear me? I do. Okay, it's uh, Manuel speaking. Oh, hi. Do you, re do you remember me? Uh, of course I do. How are you doing? And, uh, uh, I'm doing very well. Uh, since a while, I wanted to tell you and the, the people on the, on the show, probably people remember me as... Uh, the, the person who introduced himself as a Marxist some years ago, maybe last uh -huh. year. And uh, yeah, I just I want to tell you that I don't consider myself anymore as a Marxist because, you know, I've been listening to you, to your podcast and your true news series since I would say two years. And uh, I have to admit that uh, I gave up many of my of the belief I had into Marxism, and uh, it's what I wanted to tell you. Uh, sorry, you just, uh, you just broke up a little there? I'm sorry, could you just check your microphone? You've gone very, uh, very quiet. Uh, if it doesn't work... Uh, Ah, that's better. Okay, go ahead. I just wanted to tell you that I don't consider myself anymore as a Marxist. I agree too much with you, with uh, some of your uh, values and the logic you have. Well, I, I really appreciate that, and uh, I'm, I'm going to ask you what that transition was like, but I just wanted to tell you that um, uh, being an anarchist is way cooler than being a Marxist because – uh, Marxism is it's old hat, you know. Uh, it's, like, it's like saying I'm a radical Zoroastrian. Uh, Marxism is like 160 years, 150 years old, right? So uh, you can't be a radical Marxist anymore. Uh, it's like being a progressive conservative. And so, uh, so first of all, I'm I'm really glad. Uh, and and second of all, it's uh, it's just it's cooler. Uh, it's cooler. It's hipper. Uh, and I say this as a 
bald 43-year-old guy. So take it with all the grains of salt that you want. But, uh, but what was it like uh, making, that, uh, making that transition for you? Uh, it's hard to say. Of course, uh, maybe I was afraid a little bit of uh, hurting my old comrades. But uh, there were things that were too obvious in my life about, about freedom, uh, the good the things I like about free market and uh, those things like this, and uh, I had to be integ- I mean, integrity too. Right. And uh, of course, I don't fully consider myself as a, an anarchist like you. And probably, I still like some facts, some issues about about Marxism that you don't. You know, maybe in a year I won't have them anymore, but. It's enough that I don't consider myself to be a Marxist. Wow. Well, I I appreciate that. And if it's any consolation, uh, I went through exactly the same kind of change, or at least a similar one, when it came to objectivism. So it's it's a real challenge to let go of a belief system that has sustained itself. And I mean, there's there's some there's some great stuff in Marxism, in my opinion. I mean, as we've talked about before uh, in the chat room as well. I mean, there is some just uh, just great stuff. So uh, obviously you don't have to throw everything out any more than I had to throw everything out with objectivism, but uh, I certainly appreciate that uh, it's had this effect on you. And congratulations on staying in a conversation, even though it challenged your core beliefs. That is, uh, I think, a very, very admirable thing to do. So thank you very much, uh, Steph. Uh, you helped me a lot in my life. <laughs> I'm very, very pleased. Thank you so much. And just, uh, I'm the one who gets thanked, but I think it's really important for everyone who's listening to this and you as well to remember that uh, this is a conversation and everyone that I've talked to, everyone that uh, has agreed or disagreed with me is part of uh, what is going on here. So, uh, so thank you. And the thanks go out to everyone. I am just part of, of this, right? You could even say that I'm a hub, but a hub is no good without spokes and a wheel, right? So what keeps this thing turning is, uh, is everyone. So thank you. I appreciate that. I just may add a last comment. Uh, the the big issue I still agree with Marxism. It's about uh, probably the the material uh, materialistic critique of the free market and capitalism. But I never read the I think it's the the book Socialism from uh, Ludwig von Mises, in which mm. he he argues against the labor theory because for me I think that for me the labor theory appears to be true but maybe I'm wrong to think this way but I will need to to read the argument uh, about it yeah I think it's worth reading for sure and uh, if you'd like to share your thoughts after you've read it that would be that would be great but uh, I think that Mises has obviously some very powerful arguments against Marxism but uh, I wouldn't consider myself an expert on them. I just know them uh, uh, in a semi-cursory way. So, Thank you, Steph. All right. Thanks, man. And congratulations. And it's great to hear from you. Uh, either way, whether you agree or disagree, it's real nice to, to hear from you. And uh, are you going to think of uh, making it to the uh, barbecue? Uh, I wish. I'm thinking about it, yes. Oh, good. Yeah, because you came before, right? Uh, yeah, we met uh, last year in uh, the month. Yeah, l- last year I was there. Right, right. Well, I hope that you can. Uh, I hope that you can make it. It'd be great to see you again. Thank you very much, Steph. All right, take care, man. Bye. Uh, we've had some questions in the chat room, which I'm happy to take my rough swings at. But uh, I'm also uh, happy to um, 
uh, to to hear more callers, which I think should take precedence. Hi, Hi, Steph. Hi. Hi, Steph. Um, can you hear me well? I sure can. Okay, hi. Uh, well, uh, it's an honor speaking uh, with you. Um, I only discovered you uh, half a year ago um, through my uh, research uh, for anarchism. Um, and um, um, uh, yeah, you convinced me of uh, a lot of things about that. Um, uh, I first met uh, Nietzsche uh, many years ago. Uh, eight years ago, and uh, I was—I uh, loved his uh, his books. Um, but actually, I think I have been a statist uh, for a very long time. I believed in the free market, but I also believed that um, power over others was a good thing. And right. um, yeah, uh, and so uh, now um, with anarchism, everything uh, changes. But. Uh, I was very impressed by your approach to the family uh, because uh, I have plenty of problems on that level and it's uh, for that that I uh, would like to uh, ask you some questions. Please, I appreciate your kind words. Go ahead. Um, Okay. So um, I am uh, over 30 now and uh, I still live at home Um, and I cannot cannot believe this is happening to me. Oh, did we lose him? Hello? Uh, James, did we lose the guy? You say to go live uh, on my own, eh? but uh, I still think that um, uh, when I'm living on my own, uh, I still still have a lot of uh, problems to solve. I don't know. I find it so strange that I'm not still living on my own because financially I can do it without a problem. You can do one uh, without a problem. Uh, going, going, live on my own. Uh, so no, I'm now living with uh, my father, and um, I, I'm over thirty. And uh, yes, I, I, I have a very bad uh, feeling about that. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And um, why do you think that you're not able to move move away if you want to? Yeah, well, I'm always searching then for something to live in, but then uh, I, I, I relax again and say, look, it's better to live here a few more uh, time because I can do it financially. I have a lot of resources, but it's all inheritance money. Uh, I didn't make the money myself, so I, I kind of feel very guilty that I'm uh, using that kind of money for 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 consumption, as I see it. Um so I really want to make more money before I go and live on my own. Hmm? Right, right, uh, right. Um, uh, but, yeah, uh, uh, the thing is that uh, I think I have issues uh, with family relationships. Uh, look, I, I've been a tyrannical person myself when I was younger. I beat my brothers until they did what I told them to do. So I've been that kind of person when I was a a puber, uh, a teenager. Um, And uh, I think it was because, um, yes, well, my mother died very young and uh, our father dumped us on a a boarding uh, institute. Um, 
And um, there was no love in our life. Nobody that uh, actually um, uh, gave warm love. Huh? And so, right. uh, uh, but uh, when I grew older, when I was 18, uh, I, I stopped that. And um, uh, I started to uh, apologize myself to my brothers for that behavior. And one of them accepted it, the other one not. Uh, but now I think I am more peaceful, but still have a lot of uh, um, problems. Hmm? Right. So, um, but yeah, what's my question? Well, my question, I think it's more that I, uh, I like it when I hear you, that you, sometimes you are asking questions about family situations to your, uh, to the people you talk to. And uh, it clears up a lot of issues uh, sometimes, what these people have, the problems they have, and why they uh, have such the life they have. Right. Um, well, I mean, I'm just going to give you my opinions. Of course, I don't... Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. uh, I don't have any, any expertise or credentials, but I'm just going to give you my thoughts, at least the questions mm -hmm. that I would ask myself, and, and maybe it will mm -hmm. be of some, of some help to you. Mm -hmm. um, have your brothers um, forgiven you uh, for what you uh, did to them when they were younger? Uh, one of them, uh, I think he did, uh, and the other one not. Right. You think he did? Yes, because we have a very good relationship today. It's actually thanks to him that I discovered energy. And, um, uh, yeah, we have a very, we talk a lot about important stuff. And, uh, yeah, we have a, a warm relationship, I would say. Yeah. Uh, nice. The other one, the other one uh, actually continued. When I stopped uh, harassing him, he continued harassing me and marginalizing me and talking me down. And then five years ago, I said, look, you really have to stop that because otherwise we ain't going to see each other anymore. Uh, and he stopped it, but he continued to do it uh, in his surroundings towards his, so his wife, took that role upon her and she continued to do it. So actually a few months ago, thanks to the whole Defu, uh, uh, well, uh movement you have going, um, I, I, I took the courage to say, look, I really don't want uh, to be... I said to my brother uh, that I really don't want to be in, a, in her neighborhood anymore if she talks like that to me, if she says things like I'm a freak or, uh, or uh, uh, she says things like, did you do anything useful yet in your life? Things like that. And uh, so I said to him, I don't want to see her anymore. And then he got angry, and uh, the result is that he doesn't want to see me anymore either. Hmm? Right. So, so that's that's with my brother that uh, did not forgive me, I think. And um, well, okay, that's that's the situation. I, but I feel confident because I, I'm really am sure that they did not treat me very well, as well as my youngest brother. They also were hitting up on him a lot. Hmm? Right. Um, I just I just wanted to correct you one one thing. I, I think you referred yeah. to a defu movement um, that's yeah. not uh, not exactly <laughs> accurate. Uh, I mean, when when feminists would say to to women that they don't have to put up with abusive relationships, that's not a divorce movement, right? That's that's just pointing mm -hmm. out something that is. I just wanted to sort of it's not a not a defu movement. It's just just what I wanted to point that out. Yeah. Okay, let me uh, let me ask you another question. If you went to mm -hmm. the doctor tomorrow and he said you only have a year to live, how would you spend? that year 
Um, uh, well, uh, I think I would spend it uh, by uh, stopping uh, my ambitions in my work um, because I'm sp putting a lot of time in that. And um, I think I would uh, go to my younger brother, uh, visit him a lot more uh, because he lives far away. Uh, and uh, hope to spend some nice time with him uh, traveling or something um, or uh, um, and see my friends um, yeah uh, and don't see some people that I think uh, were not very valuable in my life uh, yes that's what I right. think I would do so you wouldn't still be living at home right well, if I would then say, if it's only a year, um, I might still uh, indeed live here. Then, yeah, right, right, which is quite quite crazy. No, it's not not crazy. It's not crazy. Huh? Now, what uh, what are you what are you avoiding by by staying at home if you don't want to stay at home? Right. What would happen if you moved out? Like, what what are you avoiding? Well, the thing is, I'm not inviting, I'm not taking over any girls here uh, because I, I don't know. Um, I I renovated uh, this room I, I have, but I think it's, uh, I'm not fair. I don't, I cannot receive a girl here. Um, so um, that's, that's very bad. Um, and what was your question, Steph? Okay, so are you, are you avoiding dating? Yes, I think I'm vo I'm avoiding serious dating, yes. All right, um, so what's wrong with serious dating? Um, um, I don't know. Um, I, I think it would be, I would have a girlfriend much faster if I would live alone. Then here, oh yeah! Uh, Look, I'm, no is. kidding. I'm telling you, if if you say to a woman who has huh. some level of knowledge and insight about huh. human nature, if you say to a woman, you know, I'm I'm over thirty and I'm living in a tortured huh. relationship with my father at home, she's going to huh. be like, "Thank you for playing. Let's make a baby next, <laughs> right?" <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. So why why are you avoiding uh, a relationship? Um. Well, the thing is, I, I've never got, uh, well, I only got one girlfriend when I was five years ago, uh, for two years, and she, um, uh, that was one year good and one, one year a little bit cold. Um, but indeed, other than that, I did not have warm, uh, a warm relationship, uh, with anybody. So why? Because I think I never got uh, any, um, warmth uh, true love when I was younger I think that's the explanation I, but it's a good question why am I avoiding it I really don't know but well that's I, that's I, the I, question that I, that's the question that I would ask myself right so it's it's not huh? that you're staying at home it's that you're avoiding mm -hmm. something else right if you just focus on staying mm -hmm. at home you're looking at the symptom in my opinion rather than the cause right so you got to figure out what are you avoiding by hiding out at home what are you avoiding mm -hmm. and and if we're stuck in repetitive and destructive patterns of relating to other people, it's because mm -hmm. we don't know how to speak 
some other language. So it's like if you if you and your dad were living in China and you only spoke English and everyone else spoke Mandarin, you would stay home because it's like I only speak English and this is the only place that, that I can speak that language. And learning Mandarin is really hard. And so you don't want to go out into the world and learn a new language. And if you have uh, had a loveless childhood for which I have huge sympathies, if you were sent to boarding school, which I also mm -hmm. was, though I don't think for as long, mm -hmm. for which I have huge sympathies, then you don't mm -hmm. speak a language called love. You just you don't speak mm -hmm. that language called love. Yeah. And so you're yeah. hiding at home because you, you're going to find it very difficult to learn that language called love. But I'm telling you, the longer you wait to learn that language, the less likely you are to be able to learn it because this is not a language that we can learn when we're 70 or 60 or 50, maybe even 40. Mm -hmm. And I, I would really urge you to, I mean, as I always say, right, for these kinds mm -hmm. of issues, you really need to go and speak to a good therapist, a good mm -hmm. a psychologist, a good counselor, somebody that you can dig into these issues and figure out what this loveless existence has done to your heart and to your soul. And to your mm -hmm. capacity for love and for connection and for security and for feeling like you have something of value to bring mm -hmm. to a relationship. The people I know who avoid the relationships the most are the people who feel they have the least to bring to a relationship. Like it's the same reason mm -hmm. I don't go to Sotheby's auctions is because I don't have a million dollars to buy some useless piece of crap to hang on the wall. Right? So mm -hmm. because I don't have anything of value to bring to an expensive art exhibit or auction, I just don't go. And so a lot of people mm -hmm. who feel like they just – they don't have something that is really valuable to bring to someone else, they, they're like uh, – poor people don't go to Mercedes dealerships because they just don't have anything to offer there. Mm -hmm. And so I would really try and figure out where that came from, what it feels like to feel like you don't have something of value to bring to, to a lover or to a wife or to – uh, to children in the future and then really try to work on undoing that damage. And that, uh, is, that's just my, you know, my amateur idiot opinion, mm -hmm. but, but I would strongly suggest, mm -hmm. you know, spend some time, uh, with a therapist to figure out, uh, what, what is going on because the staying at home to me is just a symptom. It's not the actual, uh, it's not the actual cause. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, thank you very much, Stefan, for that insight. Uh, I think you made it very clear why I'm not speaking the language of love. It's, it's really, uh, I never realized that actually, and um, that helps me a lot. I, I, I made an appointment with a therapist, so because I also on that level thought it was for uh, not for me, but now I realize it is for me, so um, I will do that. Um, do you think that um, I I really should then live apart uh, as as soon as possible? That's something that is certain. Oh, I, I would, I would leave that up to the therapist. I, I would not, mm -hmm. I would not have. This is my general approach to these things, which you can obviously mm -hmm. take or leave. I would not have as my goal, my friend. I would not have as my goal any specific action other than self knowledge, right? Out of self knowledge, the correct course of action will come. Mm -hmm. In the mm -hmm. absence of self knowledge, anything that you will tends to not work. It's like, it's like driving with a blindfold on. Anywhere you go is the wrong place <laughs> because mm -hmm. you're going to hit something, you drive off a cliff or, or just you know, wander around aimlessly. So you mm -hmm. have to, first you have to take the blindfold off and then you'll see where you want to go. So pursue self-knowledge and you will find out what you need to do. But I don't think there's anyone who can tell you what you should do other than attempt to really understand the source of this kind of stuff with you. 
Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I also watched uh, only today your movie about Michael Jackson, a short, a short video. Um, oh, yeah. And yes, I was very impressed by it because, um, of course, I knew all the stories about Michael Jackson and how he was uh, indeed uh, had a very bad uh, childhood. But you really um, hit the nail with me by showing that he was really looking for love in, in by the hey, by by talent eh? and um uh, he achieved in that but then after the stage he was of course lonely again um and uh, that hit a nail with me because now i realize i'm really doing the same i'm putting all my energy in my profession and i i am becoming good at that but it's not solving anything. It's not really giving me a life. It's only giving right. me some talent. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I remember so it, when I when I first made uh, some money uh, in business. When I first uh, mm -hmm. was involved in the sale of a company that I'd co-founded. When I first made some money in business, I was. Um, I mean, I was. I was thrilled. I was excited. It was unprecedented, and I did the usual stupid things when you make some money. And, mm -hmm. uh, but. I I ended up I, I was living in a I was living in a condo, and the condo had had a, a big and beautiful pool and and a jacuzzi and it had it had squash courts and so on, and I you know I, I remember one day, uh, a, a, a couple maybe two months after uh, I made some money I, I was sitting in the jacuzzi I was sitting in the jacuzzi, and there was uh, nobody around. There was nobody in the swimming pool. There was nobody in the jacuzzi. There was nobody in the squash courts. It was really, it was just dead quiet. It was like, I think shortly before they closed at night. Mm -hmm. And I sat, I was sitting there in, in the midst of all of this opulence, in the midst of all of this very expensive equipment. And I thought to myself, I thought, well, let's say I end up making a huge amount of money, like a huge amount of money to the point where this could be my house, you know, with a with a big swimming pool and a jacuzzi and a squash court. Like I could have this kind of house. And I thought, you know, if I made ten million dollars or twenty million dollars or something, and and I could buy this for my house, I I could still be sitting here alone with all of that stuff around me, and you know, it would make me feel even worse, to have all of this stuff, all of this wealth, all of this opulence, and to be alone with all of that. And then I would go up to a big empty bedroom and I'd watch some TV and I'd wake up the next day and maybe I'd go to work and then I'd come home and I'd eat a meal alone at the table. Maybe I'd go down for another swim alone. How awful it would be to have a poor soul in a rich house. I really, really thought about that, and that really helped to change my priorities in the business world uh, and, and to focus more on having a generosity and courage of spirit and doing things that, that terrified and frightened me, which I thought were, and I still think, are good for the world. Mm -hmm. And that changed everything for me. Uh, just, just that moment of reflection. I could have all of this stuff and still be so titanically alone. And I could even find people who, you know, and I could give them food and drink and invite them over to the hot tub and, and we could all play squash. And, but, but deep down, I would know that they were there for the toys and not for me. And how, mm -hmm. awful, how awful and terrible that would be and how humiliating and sad that I would have to do that. 
And um, that really had a strong effect uh, and was very much a turning point in my life. Just just sitting there, I, I can even remember the feel of the bubbles and the temperature of the water and the the color of the tiles. So the sun was down and uh, it was dark outside and it was just this little bubble of wealth and opulence that I was enjoying on my own. And I thought, my God, I really don't want this to be my future. And uh, fortunately, I was able to not have that be my future. But um, I think it's uh, it's easy to mistake uh, money for love. And uh, that's, a, that's a terrible thing to do. Yes. Okay. Uh, Steph, um, uh, but the other thing is, through my profession, I'm really not I'm making a lot of money right now, but I'm giving a lot away via blogging. And uh, but it's it's very popular and and so I feel that I'm building up a career through that and that I can make money of it. But still, it's really focused on building my own. Well, by truly giving beautiful things away, it's still building up a profession, a career, eh? and I put all my energy in that, and it will not give me uh, a lovely relationship. Maybe with my audience, yes, but not with some girl in my life. Or um, uh, so, so that's really uh, because you focus on both. Eh? You are giving a lot away of value to the world, but at the same time, you're putting a lot of energy in building a lovely relationship with your wife and your family. Hmm? Yeah, I think I think that's right. And I, I, I mean, I won't go into all of my developments in this area, but. Uh, I remember too having having all of these employees, and you know some of them were single, and some of them had wives, and a few of them had children. And uh, I remember working late one night and just being at my desk and and working away. And, uh, and my employees had all gone home, and they'd all gone home to lovers or families uh, mm-hmm. and so on. And uh, you can have a thousand employees, and they may like you, they may hate you, they but they go home, and you're just part of their day, and they go home to the real part of their day, which is their relationship with their kids and their their husbands and their wives and their friends and their family. And, uh, yeah, you can have all of that success. uh, Even if it doesn't make you a lot of money, you can have all of that success and all of that power. Mm -hmm. And uh, it won't fill one atom uh, of your soul. And um, I don't think that you can be a good person in any sphere without self-love, without self-respect. And that's a hard thing to earn in this world because we're all uh, programmed to do things that are not good. And so I think that uh, I would really, really recommend that pursuit of self-knowledge and that will change, uh, that will change everything. Hmm. Okay. Well, um, thank you very much for your uh, valuable time, uh, Stefan. And, um, um, yeah, well, uh, I'm going to continue. Uh, uh, I'm going to do that. Uh, I will, I'm very, very helped a lot by uh, your insight that I'm not speaking the 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 language of love and that's why i really do believe that i have not a lot to offer in a relationship that's why i think i always have to uh, that my profession is very important and before i have that i cannot give something of value in a relationship but that's of course nonsense uh, as you have explained to other readers so um yeah i'm gonna do that uh, so uh, well, uh, thank you very much uh, for your uh, for your great uh, videos, great vlogs, and uh, great insights. Oh, thank you very much, and uh, do drop me a line and let me know how it's going. And I wish you the very best of luck. And I wish, I wish, I wish a big waterfall, water slide, tsunami of love in your future. If you do the work, uh, it's almost for sure you're going to get it. So I, I wish that for you. Okay, thank you very much, Steph. Thank you, man. All the best. 
All the best to you too. Bye. Bye bye. All right. Hello. 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 Hi. Seven. Ah, uh, yes, indeed. How are you today? I'm just great, thank you. How are you doing? I'm okay. Um, I had gotten in contact with you uh, uh, via uh, Facebook. Uh, I had a kind of a. Uh, I've been listening uh, to your audio book, um, Relationships in Real Time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I recently moved to the Washington, D.C. area uh, from Texas. And um, I, I, I met a girl, and uh, I, I really like her. But um, there's something that I found out. I found out that she uh, used to date a black man. And, and, uh, and I don't know if some of her insecurity that really bothered me, because I didn't think that I was really racist. And and it's just something I want to want to want to get over, and I just wanted to find out what you what you think of this. What I think of your girlfriend is it is this a girl you're currently going out with? Yeah, and it's it's fairly new. It's only been about a month, and um, and that's it. And I just you know found this out, and it's and it's just something to where now it's just. It just really it disturbs me because I didn't think that I was really racist, and and I don't know how to get over this. Right. Listen, that's a that's a kudos for you for bringing that up. That's a that's a tough topic to bring up. So I really appreciate you doing that. Do you know what it is that bothers you about her having dated a black fella? That's what I don't know. I don't know if it's maybe a, a insecurity thing because. You know, because of you know, black men are are better in bed. Um, when you say better or, in bed, or, are you basically sorry? When you say better in bed, is that a euphemism for penis size? Well, I've heard that as well. Yeah, I've heard that as well, of course. And and then and and then just also, you know, once you go back, you know, or black, you never go back. And and I just and she's never really been with guys that look like me. And it just. It just, you know, and now when I see black guys, that's what I think of. I think, well, wow, would she, you know, she would go for that guy. She would go for this guy. Why is she with me? And now, I mean, that's all I can, like, it's, I, it, it's all I can think about. Right, 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 right. Okay. Uh, I, I'm guessing that you probably haven't, I'm just, basically, you sound like a young fellow. You probably haven't read a book called Black Like Me. Uh, but uh, uh, in it, uh, this is a it's, it's a reporter, and it's been many many years since I uh, since I read it. But uh, a reporter uh, who was uh, not black, he he got skin darkening treatments, and he went uh, through the South as as a black man. And I, 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 I he wrote up about all of his experiences traveling uh, in the South as a black man. I think it was in the sixties or seventies, but it's again it's been a long time since I've read it, and I only really rent. I read uh, two. Uh, I only really remember two aspects of it. One was how hard it was for him to find a washroom that he could use. Right, he's somewhere downtown. He needs to take a pee. He can't go to a restaurant. The, one, the certain washrooms are white only, and uh, what a hideous thing it is. But the thing that really st- stuck out for me in that book, which is I think relevant to what you're talking about, 
is that he got into he got a lift from a, a white guy, and the white guy, of course, thinking he was black, began asking him all these questions about sexuality, and he had this belief that you know, well, as a black man, you must have this just wild sex life, uh, you know, that no inhibitions and just crazy. Nutty, you know, I can't even remember what, what the, but it was just, you know, cause, cause everybody knows that the black culture is so sexual and blah, blah, blah. And, and this stereotype is, is played into even now, uh, in, um, there's a Ray Bradbury story about a baseball game where the, the whites are all anal. Sorry, this is probably <laughs> the one wrong phrase to use when talking about wild sex, but, uh, the, the white guys are all, you know, cramped and sunburned and stuffed into their little white uniforms and the black guys are all tall and lithe and at ease with themselves physically. And I think you just have to look at the difference between the way George Bush Jr. and Barack Obama walk to get a sense of, of that difference. And black guys are supposed to be really great at dancing. And a friend of mine who was black uh, was at a party and every all the white guys were up dancing, the usual white guy dodging a broomstick being thrown from the ceiling dance. And he was like, oh, you know, I get up to dance and all the white guys are like, oh, shit, here comes a real dancer. And I don't want to be that guy. I'm not that great a dancer, but I suppose I have to be because I'm black. And uh. and if you've seen the movie, um, oh, God, what was it called? It was the movie about Jerry Lee Lewis, Great Balls of Fire with Dennis Quaid. Uh, not a very good film. But uh, at the beginning, right, there's this uh, um, scene where there's a, a black uh, hoedown hootenanny in the south and, and the women are all grinding up against the guys and it's all very sexual and it's all – I mean this is a stereotype that is played up uh, quite a bit in, in, in sort of – I think it's in white perceptions of black culture that it's, you know, it's hypersexualized and uh, loosey-goosey and, and all that sort of stuff. And I mean I don't think it's true obviously but – uh, that may have had some impact on your thinking about black men or black women or black sexuality, that, that there is this feeling that there's this really uh, repressed white Puritan Protestant uh, culture that, um, you know, can't, uh, can't, can't do anything useful uh, with an erection except, except curse it in the name of, of, of Jesus and Mary. Uh, and there's this idea, I think, that, that the black culture is so sensual and so relaxed and so physical and so uh, raw and sexual and so on. And it's, it's a little bit played up, I think. I mean, look at all those rap videos and so on. So you may have – I mean, it may not be exactly racism, and I'm, I hesitate to use that word with anyone, particularly somebody who's got the courage to bring up this kind of topic. But uh, I would say that uh, it may just be that there's a bunch of cultural stereotypes floating around in your head that – uh, are probably all complete nonsense and have I, I i mean i thought for many years off and on about that scene in black like me like why what was this white guy doing thinking that these black people were having all of this just astounding sex and all that kind of stuff like what sort of projection was that uh going on so i i just sort of wanted to to point that out that then there may be a lot of cultural influences on your perception of uh what life was like with the black boyfriend but but my suggestion would be uh for what it's worth my suggestion would be to, to say to her, um, what was it like having a black boyfriend? I've never had a black boyfriend. I'm assuming you haven't either. So um, what was it like? And just be, be honest and say, you know, uh, I've had these thoughts, you know, like uh, it's, well, <laughs> both I, metaphorically and physically. What if I don't measure up, right? Well, she did have a bad experience with him, you know, the way that he had, he had treated her. And uh, so, I mean, I guess, you know, and so... I guess that somewhat made me feel better. It's just I don't know if I wait. Need sorry, to you felt better that of... that she'd been mistreated. Hang on, wait a sec. Let oh, me make no, sure I no. understand what you're saying there. 
well, just uh, of course I don't feel good about her being mistreated, but it just, it just, it, it, it I, I, I don't know. It just, it made me think, well, well, okay, well then maybe she's not, uh, she's not going to go for another black man uh, because she was mistreated, and you know maybe that, you know, uh, I mean that's just no. Of course I, I, I didn't want her to to to, uh, to have been mistreated, but. Uh, I don't know. I just don't no, know. No, no, but see, but no, no, see, you don't, you don't want to solve your insecurities by thinking that she's now going to have an aversion to black men because she was mistreated by one, because that's saying that we should judge all black men by the actions of one, right? So you don't want to, you don't want to try and solve your problem that way, right? You're, you're right. You're right. I mean, you, you need to, you know, face up to, I mean, in my opinion, right? Just face up to the, 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 there's some part of you that is threatened. Uh, uh, I guess it's not romantically or, or because she was treated badly, but perhaps it's more specifically sexually. That is threatened sexually by, uh, I don't know, the the black mamba snake you think is wrapping itself up your girlfriend's legs at some point in the past, right? Or something like that, right? I mean, but but I think it's, I mean, I think it's a myth. I don't know much about penis sizes, but my understanding is that the myth of the black penis size, <laughs> this is definitely going into a... <laughs> A mix at some point, I'm sure. It's some great music, right? Some, the myth of the black penis size. I, I think it comes from uh, the fact that when when Europeans, uh, and I would assume this is British people, when the Europeans first went to Africa and they saw these, you know, <laughs> big black swinging hadonkadonks, that, that they were kind of shocked. But that's because, you know, they, these people didn't uh, wear underpants. So they were out there in the sun and things just naturally dangle when they swing around for a couple of years. So uh, I think I think it's a myth. More, more so than it is is truth. I mean, what the hell do I know? But that's something I remember reading uh, a long time ago somewhere. Well, so, well, and it also, I mean, it, it but it, it also not just the, the sexual thing, but you know, I mean, I, I grew up in Texas, and it's just, I just was always kind of taught that that's not right. The first girl I ever kissed was a black girl when I was ten years old. My 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 father found out about it, and he he made fun of me. Uh, for doing for kissing a, a black girl, and 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 I was so embarrassed. Uh, I was ten years old, and I was so embarrassed that you know I'd never thought about being with a black girl since that point. And and uh, and, and so now it just it, you know, and I think of her being with a black man, and it it really it, it makes it grosses me out. And and I I don't want to be that kind of person. Okay, so you're saying that uh, because your your father mocked you for kissing a black girl when you were ten, that you feel kind of grossed out by that, by uh, that that idea, sort of interracial romance. I think that that, that may have sparked it off, you know, because I, I I enjoyed it. I remember being ten years old. It was my first kiss. I loved it. Right. And and, and I just and and and. Uh, I think ever from from that point, I'd never, you know, and and, and I've seen women, you know, black women that I, I've been attracted to also. So that it's like this, this. I don't know. Look, I, uh, if you if you have a history. And again, I'm, I don't want to use the term racism with your dad, but just based on what you're saying, he may have had some level of discomfort. If you remember that vividly enough, and of course, one's first kiss is um, uh, is very um, it's very memorable, and it's a very powerful moment, of course. And uh, so, if your father mocked you uh, in a 
you know, quasi-racist way for, for kissing a black girl, uh, that would have had some significant effect, uh, I think, uh, on you. And when you say you're disgusted by that sort of the after effects of that, it may be more to do with the reaction of your father than, than something else, right? So uh, I, would, uh, I would really start to, to examine that uh, from uh, – I, I would start to examine that from a familial relationship and say, okay, well, what, what is my family's history with, with um, other cultures, other races, and so on, and, and what have I inherited from that? that uh, is is um uh, maybe having an effect on what's occurring for me at the moment right so it's a big i mean if you bring up your dad and your first kiss right so it's it's, it's a big and, and deep issue that has a lot more to do i would guess with family stuff than it would be with you know the general cultural nonsense that i was talking about earlier okay um now if i can't get over this i mean i should just pull out of the relationship, right? Um, yeah, I think I just advised an earlier guy to pull out as well. Um, well, I, I, I mean, I don't think anyone can tell you that, but I do think that, I do think that if this woman is, you know, a good woman and, and you really like her and, and so on, then I think that you will really regret it if you end up breaking up with her and later find out that uh, you did so for bad or unjust reasons, I think you'll really regret it, if that makes any sense. Okay. It does. And it does. Uh, it's, a, it's a young relationship to put all of this stuff on. And again, I would, as I always say, I mean, I would, I would talk about this stuff with a counselor. And if you can find a black counselor, <laughs> so much the better. No, I, would, I would talk about this stuff with a counselor. Uh, but um, uh, if you can't get to one or you can't afford one or whatever, then uh, I would talk about it with, with someone, uh, I guess, other than me now, because we've already talked. But uh, and, and if you can't work it out, you know, privately or journaling or, or whatever, talk about it with your father and say, you know, I remember this kiss. And now I've got this girl who, who, who had a relationship with a black fella. And I feel this and I feel that. Talk about it with your dad. Uh, and failing all of that, or, or maybe even with that, uh, you can talk to the girl and say, listen, I'm not proud of this. This is, you know, and we, we all have to do this sometimes. Like, look, I'm telling you, you're not alone in having prejudices. You're not alone. You know, we're not, we don't suddenly pop out with all of our cultural references at the age of 22 or 25 or 30 or when, whenever we discover philosophy and reason. We, we inherit a lot of stuff from past generations. We get a lot of nonsense from the culture. Uh, about, uh, um, you know, we get uh, all races are equal, but then you see racist stereotypes uh, all the time, right? So if you are a Korean guy on television, you have to be uh, picking apart dead bodies in some CSI show, or you have to be a math professor, uh, or you, you know, it's all very, or you have to be Long Duck Dong, the <laughs> foreign exchange student from 16 Candles, I think. And so there are all of these, we're told everyone's equal, but then there are all of these stereotypes that are consistently going on. And the stereotypes are gender-related, right? So they say in Hollywood there are three ages for women. There's ingenue, there's district attorney, and then there's driving Miss Daisy, and that's it, right? So you're romantic lead uh, or, or others, right? Or uh, I think Robin Williams uh, said something like he was in a movie called Jumanji, I think, uh, which I saw when I was babysitting a friend's kids some time back. And uh, he, he said in an interview about the film, he said, you know, this, this is the only chance I'm going to get to play an action hero. Why? Because he looks like Robin Williams and he doesn't look like Harrison Ford. 
And so even in all the movies, right, the, you have to look like Brad Pitt or Patrick Dempsey or uh, even Paul Rudd to, to get the romantic lead. You can't look like Danny DeVito and play the action hero. So we get all of these stereotypes all the time piling up in our heads. And uh, there is uh, there's no way to avoid having been exposed to them. I guess all we can do is rummage through and try and sort out the nonsense from the truth. And, uh, and work with it. So you're not the only person who's been programmed to have these kinds of irrational preferences and prejudices. We all have to struggle with this. And we all, I think, at some point have to say to people in our lives, you know what, I'm not proud of this, but I feel this around this person, or I feel this around that person. And I'm not, I'm not saying I'm proud of it, but it's what's happening. And I'd like to talk about it. And I think that's, that's the only way that we can, we can really resolve these things. Thank you, Seth, and and uh, I wanted to thank you real quick for introducing anarchy to me, uh, the logic of it, and I uh, enjoyed your speech at Porkfest, and uh, thanks for taking my call. You're welcome, and uh, listen, don't don't feel ashamed. I, I really appreciate the courage that it took to bring this up, and um, uh, if if you still can't get over the penis size, I can forward to you so the contents of my junk folder, uh, which I think will have lots of solutions for you. I'm just kidding, man. Have a have a great afternoon, and, and I wish you the very best of luck with this. <laughs> Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Take care, man. Bye. All right. There's one for the archives. <laughs> Coxman Prog Magnificence. That's what we're talking about this afternoon. Hey, Steph. Oh, hi. Hi. Um, I, I, I had a question for you that I kind of touched on in not the last conversation, but the one before. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you, you talked about, um, how you, you kind of realized that you wanted more of a rich soul and, and, uh, how you started, uh, <laughs> so I'm kind of nervous. This is like a scary subject for me because, uh, lately I've been thinking more about, uh, what I can contribute to the world. Right, and just just so you know, if if you think it's a scary subject for you, I just got off talking about penis size. Oh, let me not say got <laughs> off, uh, but I did just reference a lot of penis sizes. So, uh, it, trust me, it can't it can't be tougher than that conversation, and I hope that that helps. <laughs> Thank you. That does help. Um, yeah. So I, I was just I was kind of wondering um, if you if you had any sort of tips on how to because I'm sure that you know. I think you even said that it was pretty scary for you as well. And um, I keep kind of going, going over ideas of, of what I can do and, and stuff. And every time I, I kind of start to work on, on something that I'm excited about, I, I, I keep switching from being like, like really enthusiastic and like um, kind of feeling like a rock star <laughs> Um, and then being like completely terrified and like questioning what the heck I, I think I'm doing. Does that make sense? Can you give me, I'm just, I want to make sure I can put this down to something more concrete. Can you tell me more specifically the kinds of things that you're talking about? Yeah. Like, uh, like writing or, uh, I've even, I've been thinking about, uh, podcasting too, uh, lately and, um, just, just kind of in general, like. Uh, putting something that's like uniquely like from me, like creatively uh, into the world, like trying to kind of make a difference. Right. Right. 
And now why, um, why do you want to do that? Well, I want to do that because, because I think, I think that it would make me the most happy. Like, I think that that's the way that I would be able to achieve the most happiness and like satisfaction in life. Okay. Um, why do you think that's true? Um, because hmm. I'm kind of blanking. No, that's, and the reason that I'm asking is that when we, and I just, this is how I, like when I lack motivation for something, it's usually mm-hmm. because I'm operating under the, you know, <laughs> it's, I call it a reverse umbrella, right? So an umbrella, of course, it's raining and you hold the umbrella up and it keeps the rain off you. But whenever I'm finding myself trudging along somewhere thinking I need to do something, it's because I have a reverse umbrella. And the reverse umbrella is one where it's kind of sunny out, but you've got a little cloud of cold drizzle coming down <laughs> on you from the umbrella you have over your head. And the umbrella that you have over, the he- over your head is some sort of should or some sort of have to. Right, so the reverse umbrella that just puts like clammy cold water down your spine, uh, that is because I feel that I should be doing uh, X or, or Y or Z, and therefore I will trudge along and do it, uh, you know, like a soldier going over the edge of a trench in Gallipoli, but I don't have that same organic whole body process. It's just I got my marching orders from some sort of abstract, and therefore I'm going to go and do it. And I find that I can kind of get stuff done, but things peter out for me. And um, that may, that's what struck me as, as something that may be similar uh, for you. Uh, because I think your, your, your real question is, how do I link to a commitment that's, that's bigger than me, right? And, and uh, again, I want to put words in your mouth and tell me if, if I'm way off base. But you want to do something bigger than your history. You want to do something that is unprecedented from your past, right? Because you were built to be small, right? You were built to be controllable, uh, at least according to my memory of your, your history, and you're trying to break with that and do something uh, larger than, than life in a sense. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That, right. that sounds, that sounds right. I'm not, I'm not really sure if, if I have like, and it could be true because I, I was having kind of a hard time answering your question, but, um, it doesn't really feel like, like something that I have to do. Um, but it's something that I really want to do. But then, <laughs> yes, and so my, my but my question is why why do you want to do it, right? Because just just wanting to do something uh, again that's that's what got the first caller's friend into trouble with the girl, right? Uh, he he wanted to have sex, right? So wanting to do something doesn't mean that it's a good idea, and it doesn't mean that you want to do it for the right reasons. Uh, so uh, and having the desire is good, and I'm certainly not saying you know just blindly oppose desire, but I think when you're looking at doing something that's big and important, where your pride is going to hang on the outcome. Right, because if you say, "Well, I want to do something big," and then you don't do it, you're taking a blow to your pride and to your sense of self-worth and efficacy, in a way that if you don't get off the couch, that doesn't happen. Right. So, whenever you're contemplating doing something big or different or or grand, it is uh, it's a risky thing because uh, it's um, 
your, your self-esteem is going to change based on, on the results. So I think you really want to make sure that you, you take a good run at it rather than, you know, flog yourself around for doing or not doing it and, and having some energy and then not having some energy. And I think that can really be a, be a problem for self-esteem, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that does make sense. Right. So if you're going to go, uh, you know, into a race, then you need to practice beforehand, not just say, hey, I want to do a race. I think I'll just drop by with my shorts and run it. <laughs> I know. Yeah. And, and I, I totally understand that, like, uh, like practically, but some part of me just expects myself to be able to do something perfectly like the first time. Right, right. And you also, sorry, the the last thing is I I would also say that you have to find something that is big enough that it can sustain you through the endless, seemingly endless top bits of shit that you sometimes have to wade through to get anything achieved in this world that is of lasting quality. Uh, You know, it it can be a complete shitstorm trying to do something good in this world, right? No, No good deed goes unpunished, right? And, and yeah. the shitstorm takes takes two forms for me. One is that there's just a lot of boring stuff you have to do uh, that is completely uninspiring in which I sort of sit down and just like, Ugh. that is a reverse umbrella, but there's just no way to get around it, right? So mm-hmm. it's like saying, I want to be a movie star, but I, I don't want to get up early. Well, <laughs> sometimes that's when they need you on the set, right? So uh, so there's just stuff that you have to do that is is boring and dull and unpleasant. And uh, particularly if you're, if you're working in the realm of ethics and philosophy, then you're going to piss a lot of people off. That's just natural, right? Um, a human society, like the human personality, is full of an extraordinary amount of inertia. And uh, it takes um, a more mature soul than is commonly available in the world to question and criticize one's own or others' core principles. And people resent you uh, sometimes when, when you do that. So uh, the question is, uh, are you, if you're doing it for, for pleasure, then pleasure won't sustain you. Uh, pleasure won't sustain you. Uh, you, ha- you have to have something that's bigger than pleasure, no matter how much your pleasure is. Uh, yeah. it, it simply won't sustain you any more than sexual desire can sustain a romantic relationship. Right? Pleasure alone doesn't do it because if you're pleasure-based, and I'm not saying you are, but but if you're doing it because, um, you know, I want to do it or I think it's you know it's the right thing to do or whatever, then that pleasure won't sustain you into when the opposition hits, either in terms of the boring stuff that you have to do, uh, or the um, uh, the unpleasant stuff that you sometimes receive. Right. Right. Well, what, what, uh, what would you say is, is something that, that would be sustainable? Not like, obviously you can't tell me like what I should do or anything, but like what kind of motivations like are sustainable, I guess. Cause if it's not like just about, I mean, if it's obviously like, because I want to do something big, I understand that just doing something just because I like to do it, you know, might not be enough because, uh, like you said, of the um, opposition that I'm going to most likely get. Um, but so if I'm, if <laughs> I guess I'm confused as to what's left, like if I'm going to do it for, um, for myself, like for happiness or for, cause part of me also really just wants to like do what I can to make the world a better place, right. you know? But yeah, that, no, I, I, I agree and I, I admire that, but sorry, come on. But yeah, I mean, I was just going to say, but that also kind of seems like you can't just do, like, that's kind of like a martyr lifestyle, like if I'm not enjoying it. Right. 
So right. like where I'm, yeah, I guess I'm having a hard time seeing like where the kind of balance would be. Right. No, I mean it's a, it's a great question. Um, I guess for me at least the question boils down to, where the fuck am I doing this? <laughs> <laughs> Wait a sec. Okay, I'm closing the show down. You're right. I don't have a clue. Um, <laughs> oh, no. no, I mean that's that's a that's a that's a good question. Uh, it's a good question. Uh, certainly, I have some answers which I've thought of before, and some which have just popped into my head. But um, uh, I, I sort of want to make sure that I, I understand where you're coming from before I give you my uh, nonsense opinions, right? So, so pleasure isn't enough, and uh, so just well, it'll make me feel good or make me be happy uh, to do it. That's not enough because it's boring and. And uh, uh, unpleasant stuff that isn't gonna that that works against the pleasure principle. But if you're doing it out of a sense of duty, then um, that's not going to be sustainable enough either, because there's not that much pleasure in it, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to invent a new word called pluty, which is pleasure <laughs> and duty together. So pursue the pluty. That is the message <laughs> of today's philosophy show. Plutiness is what you need to immerse yourself in. Uh, pursue the plute. That's my uh, <laughs> that's my answer. Next. <laughs> <I'm kidding. laughs> All right. Now let's, uh, um, I mean, I can I can tell you what's my uh, uh, what what works for me. And uh, yeah, plutiness is next to baldiness. <laughs> Hopefully, plutiness is in baldiness. So. Uh, <laughs> um, we yeah. are a plutocracy, anyway. <laughs> but uh, I, uh, if you could tell me, I can tell you. I can tell you what what works for me. Uh, I can tell you what works for me. Um, I'm uh, I'm pretty angry uh, about the state of the world, uh, and that's uh, that's a pretty good fuel. I, I watched a, a movie that's not great, but not bad, uh, which has got some great speeches in it. It's called Network, which is uh, a bit of an older film. Uh, yeah, I'm mad as hell, and I'm going to take. And he says, "I don't know what the solution is, but the first thing you have to do is to get angry." Says this rather magnificent actor who's playing this uh, this role of this crazed newsman. Uh, so uh, I'm definitely driven by uh, a fair amount of of anger at the way at the way things are, and uh, at the lateness in the day that previous generations have left the game for us to win. That. You know, it's like I, I feel I feel like, you know, we're we're 300 points down. There's six seconds left in the clock. Steph, you're in. <laughs> and it's like, what? <laughs> Are you kidding? Fine. <laughs> and and so there is that sense of uh, I, I'm, I'm pissed. I'm pissed off. Uh, and uh, I, I'm not I'm not even fundamentally pissed off at the state. That's like being pissed off at a tiger. I, I'm more pissed off at at, um, at at everyone who claims knowledge and then weasels about about it when uh, uh, when you confront them. That th- those people piss me off more than anything. Uh, I view myself as a fiercely protective older brother to a rather weak-fisted younger brother called philosophy, who gets picked on all the goddamn time, and that pisses me off. Of course, I was a younger brother, so I have some emotional connection with that. But to me, philosophy is just a ninety-eight-pound weakling who gets kicked uh, all up and down the the sandbox, and uh, I uh, am fiercely moving in to protect and strengthen philosophy. Uh, and so that, uh, the, the sense of protectiveness uh, and the sense of, of fierceness and, uh, and of anger it definitely has, uh, has, some, has something to do with me. I will also say that for me, uh, there is a sense of being cornered uh, and a sense of desperation. Uh, I know this all sounds like, hey, join me on the Thelma and Louise car going over the cliff towards <laughs> emotional horror, but I'm just being honest, uh, as, as honest as I can about what, 
uh, what drives me. Uh, I wish, I wish, I wish, I really, really wish that uh, that I didn't have to do this. Uh, you know, I, I really do. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, like if, if you're a doctor and you're, uh, you come across a plane crash, you, you know, you can't keep driving, uh, but you really wish you didn't have to, to go and do what you were going to go and have to do. But, but you do it because it's the right thing to do. And so I really wish, look, I, I really wish that this didn't have to be done. Uh, I wish that libertarian thinkers had had the courage to, uh, to, to confront the family issues rather than mucking about with politics and economics from here to kingdom come. Uh, I wish that somebody had had the balls or ovaries to take that on uh, beforehand. That would have been nice. Uh, would have helped break the ice a little bit and might have made some real progress. Um, I wish uh, that um, Socrates hadn't succumbed to passive aggression, but it had instead condemned the state which was killing him 2,500 years ago, because then we'd be 2,500 years a little further ahead in looking at this brutal institution skeptically. Uh, I wish that uh, uh, Ayn Rand had uh, focused explicitly rather than implicitly on personal relationships in her work. Uh, I wish that um, <laughs> objectivists, uh, objectivism hadn't hardened into dogma, uh, but instead had become a living uh, and breathing pursuit of truth, regardless of the original assumptions. Uh, I wish that all of that uh, had happened, but uh, but it didn't. Uh, it didn't happen. And I wish that uh, I wish that my ancestor William Molyneux had followed through on his commitment to John Locke to create a secular system of ethics defined entirely by reason, but he didn't. And so <laughs> the baton gets passed down a few generations, and I get to beat my head ag against the indifference and hostility of the world in that pursuit. So uh, there is, a, to me, a sense of desperation in that uh, I am entirely clear about where the world is going to uh, uh, is going to go in the absence of principles in the absence of reason. Uh, and, and last but not least, I mean, I think, I think most fundamentally, you know, this is, this is the layers, right? So, you know, there's anger, there's desperation, there's cornered, there's frustration, there's all of those sorts of things. But, you know, Marissa, deep down, what it is for me, and maybe this is something, I know I'm talking about me and you had a problem, but I hope that this, this helps, is that um, I just, uh, you know, life is just such an amazingly beautiful and, uh, a, a, and wonderful thing. Uh, and, and a life of, of, of reason and a life of virtue and a life of courage is just such a beautiful and noble thing. And I, uh, I just, uh, I, I, I sort of experienced this amazing beauty, uh, in, in my life and this amazing clarity, uh, in my life and this, uh, amazing sense of, of passion and purpose and elevation. Uh, I feel heroic. I feel heroic. I feel like a guy on a, uh, in a, a tin can suit of armor uh, on a big horse uh, riding around and uh, and rescuing. Uh, that is uh, a beautiful feeling. And uh, I just, when you, when you have that, that depth of beauty that you experience and when you look across the world and you see, you know, the, the haggard misery of people dragging themselves around, it's like, it's like I live in a world where people move around by clamping their teeth on the sidewalk and dragging themselves forward rather than just getting up and walking or running or, with philosophy, even flying. Yeah. And when you see, when you experience that, that beauty, and, and you posted about this recently on the, on the board, right, the, the, the two years, I think, or so that you've worked has, has given you a real experience of, of beauty and possibility 
and when you see when you have experienced that kind of 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 beauty and truth and and the the shining elevation of of a clear conscience and a well-earned sense of uh self pride to me it would be entirely wrong at a very fundamental level to not offer that to as many people as you as you could right so we philosophers we're sitting in a castle overflowing with food in a starving world i can't just sit and munch while the world expires from hunger i just i can't do it i have to go out with the food and that creates opposition and that creates hostility and that you know but but the reality is there are lots of people out there who are starving who know that they're starving but don't know the difference between the berries that feed you and the berries that kill you. And I know that, and I can uh, bring that uh, to people. I just, I can't sit in my house of love and beauty and plenty and joy and, and intimacy and love. I just can't sit here and watch the world get sicker and sicker. I, I have to go out. I have to go out. And to me, that's just a UPB thing. You know, I, I urge people to talk about this show. I urge people to donate. I urge people to help out in whatever way they can. Because that's a UPB thing for me, Marissa. I mean, imagine. Imagine not that you're somebody in a castle overflowing with food and luxury, but somebody out there on the starving, bony-winged streets of want just pecking and scrabbling in the earth to find a scrap of food. Would you not want someone to come out and help? Would you not want someone to come out and rescue you? If you were kidnapped, if you were held hostage, if you would you not want someone to rip the very roof off your confinement and haul you out to freedom if you couldn't do it yourself? So for me, it's just a UPB thing. It's not about my needs fundamentally, although I do definitely want to share the happiness that I have worked so hard to achieve. But I think that, but for a different set of circumstances, it could so easily have been me down there in the mud. It could so easily have been me down there being trampled under the blunt hooves of high privilege. It could be so easily me out there lost in the wilderness hungry and cold, miserable, shivering, mute. If I hadn't been born in the country that I was born in, if I hadn't been born in the time that I was born in, if I hadn't been born speaking the language that I speak, if I hadn't been born with my particular and perhaps peculiar mental gifts, then it would have been me. And the very high odds are that it would have been me out there and i can't you know reach people in africa maybe right and they, people in the mongolian hinterlands right but but i I can, I can reach people who can get this who have access to to the web who have access to this kind of stuff and because it was so close to being me if I hadn't had a particular set of circumstances 
and exposure to a particular set of people and a particular set of thinkers, I wouldn't have achieved the happiness that I have. What a close call it was for me. What a lucky chance it was for me. I happened to inherit a lot of money in a hungry world. So I'm going to use that money to feed everyone who wants food, who I can help. And if I were on the other side of these castle walls, down there in the moat scrabbling to find a shriveled little frog to eat, you know, how much would I be desperate for somebody to ride along and pick me up and set me on my own horse oh, and feed me and hold me? That's and that's good. what drives me. Thank you so much for sharing those. That was really inspiring, and a lot of a lot of that definitely resonated with me. And I think, and you know, obviously, I'm really glad that you feel, do feel heroic because I think that what you're doing absolutely is heroic. And um, yeah, I mean, I was just thinking last night when I was, you know, <laughs> trying to figure out what I'm going to do with with all of this um, knowledge that I have, and uh, you know, I, I was just thinking, just you know, how how awesome it is that, that I was exposed to, um, you know, like Freedom Main Radio and Alice Miller and Nathaniel Brandon and, and you know, so many um, just like fantastic resources that really, you know, just made the hugest difference in my life. And, and I really want to give back like that's, I, yeah, to answer your question in the beginning, that, that really is, I think what I really want to do is to, is to, you know, I feel like I've reached not not that I'm I mean obviously you're never done but um I think that I have reached a point where where I really have uh, built some some genuine value and and I want to I want to give it back. Right. Yeah, and and that is that is to me the most the most power. That's what sustains me. Uh that's what sustains me when I don't want to do another podcast or I don't want to answer another email or I don't want to do another stupid amount of technical dicking around on the FDR site or, you know, get negative letters or what. I mean, that's, it's just, ah, I mean, there's, there's just, there's always somebody over the hill who needs help. And, uh, and, and I will also say that this, you know, I, I, this is nothing to do with false modesty because I, I'm very confident about what it is that I've been doing. But I also think that it is, um, uh, I think, I think, frankly, that that you and the listeners are are more heroic than I am because because this is my job, right? This is still your hobby. Now, whether it'll turn into something else for you is it remains to be known. But uh, this is this is your job. Uh, this is my job, right? So uh, I'm at least getting some some money for doing what it is that I'm doing and and some exposure and making some progress that way. Uh, but uh, it's more heroic to do it in the absence, right, where it's mostly costly uh, and not uh, as as much of a benefit, uh, at least in material form. So. Uh, and, you know, I, I get all the positive feedback and validation of, uh, you know, uh, 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 letters and emails and, and speaking invitations and so on and, and seeing the numbers steadily grow up, uh, go up. So I'm getting all of that positive validation, which is not the case for a lot of the listeners. So uh, it's not the case for any of the listeners relative to, to what I'm experiencing and receiving. So uh, it's harder for listeners. Uh, it's harder for you. And where it's harder, there's all the more uh, heroism. The other thing, too, is that I didn't get the whole package all at once, right? So I got it in dribs and drabs, right? I got some 
uh, objectivism, uh, and then I got some libertarianism, and then I went to a couple of conferences, and then I sat on it for a while, and then I did some business. So I got it in dribs and drabs. And of course, you know, people can listen to as many or as few podcasts as they want, but uh, it's more of the whole picture, so to speak, coming down the pipe, and that's more uh, more to deal with. So I'm always sensitive to the reality that if I had heard Freedom Main Radio when I was 25 or, or whatever, or 23 or whatever, that, that would have been a very, very challenging thing to, to experience. Much more challenging in many ways, although I wish I had heard it. It would have saved me a lot of time. But it's much more challenging in many ways than what occurred for me. And you could say, well, it's like a slow Band-Aid versus a fast Band-Aid. It would have saved me a lot of years if I'd heard Freedom Main Radio when I was younger. But uh, but I didn't. But it's more heroic to do it in the absence of the kind of feedback that I'm getting and in the absence of the compensation that I'm getting from donators. So uh, I just I hope that you, you know, if you're going to give that pie called admiration, I hope that you keep by far the largest piece for yourself. And this is true for all the listeners. Thank you. <laughs> I will. Good, good, because you, you deserve it. Great. Thank you so much. Right. That, that's really, really helpful. I'm so glad and uh, keep me posted about uh, about what uh, what you end up doing and uh, take your time. You know, there's there's no particular rush. Uh, it's uh, it's way better to to plan, uh, you know, ready, aim, fire, not ready, fire. Huh? What did I hit? So uh, I would definitely <laughs> yeah. take take time. Thank you. All right. So we come hoving into six o'clock. It's six o'clock on a Sunday. The BCF still talks. Um, last call, I guess, uh, relatively soon. Oh, first of all, I wanted to say thank you to the a very kind listener who um, was uh, was very nice enough to invite uh, myself and their family over yesterday. Um, it was a, a great deal of fun, and uh, I, I really did, did appreciate it. Uh, his his daughters played with Izzy in a way that was beyond charming and and fun. So thank you so much, and. Um, uh, don't forget to check out the barbecue FDR, sorry, emiando.com forward slash FDR 2010. Uh, please to let us know if you're going to be able to come and we hope that you can uh, come and have your little galt sculch up here in Mississauga for at least a day or two a year. And last but not least, I, let me get the info for this. I will be doing a speech in Toronto. Yes, I will indeedy. Uh, which is, um, on the 8th of September, it will be in the evening, and it's for the Ontario Libertarian Party. So uh, they have uh, – I, I did sp speak there a few years ago, and um, I hope that you will uh, be able to come by. And uh, it will be uh, a speech and a Q&A thing and all that kind of good stuff. So I hope that you will get a chance to come by. And um, it's at Scallywags, 11 Sinclair West in Toronto. Uh, 7 to 11 p.m. So I hope that you will be able to come and I look forward to meeting you there. And uh, yeah, if you're coming around, uh, uh, if you're coming around, uh, please uh, do, um, uh, if you're around Toronto, around Mississauga coming through, always happy to chat, always happy to sit down and have a coffee or a meal with a listener. You, I've done it a whole number of times and it's always been a distinct pleasure to, to meet you all. So I hope that you will, uh, I hope that you will come by. So have yourselves a completely fantastic and wonderful week. Thank you so much for all of your continued support. Uh, I really, really do appreciate it. Thank you to all of the new subscribers. Uh, it's very, very nice uh, to see that. Uh, subscriptions are great because it gives me some predictability in terms of income. And um, uh, I really, really do appreciate that. And uh, we are doing some magnificent things in the world. And I think let's all remember to take a bow 
and enjoy the success of what is mostly due to the listeners and the technology, the greatest, greatest philosophical conversation in history. Thank you.